Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of A Darker Matter. I'm Alexis and today we are going to be talking about one of my favorite local niche murder cases known as the Ski Wing Murders that happened in Allegheny, New York, which is south of Buffalo in western New York. And then after that we are going to be talking about an Alzheimer's post from Reddit and then another dinosaur case to end on a lighthearted note. And I have a special guest with me today and I'll let him introduce himself. Hey guys, my name is Justin. I am from uh, Columbus, Ohio. I am a big fan of all things uh, horror podcast related and uh, Alexis has asked me to do the show. Uh, super excited to be here and very uh, interested to see where uh, today's discussion takes us. All right, let's get started. So today we're covering one of the most notorious crimes uh, from my county, Cataracts County, which is also known as the Enchanted Mountains. So there's a lot of really beautiful ski resorts, and there were quite a few back in the day. So this double homicide happened on February 6, 1978, in Allegheny, New York, which is in Cataracts County. And these murders are known as the Ski Wing Murders. Have you ever heard of them, Justin? I have never heard of them. I've been yeah. to Allegheny a couple times before, but never, not familiar with this at all. All right, so I'll be interested to see what you think, because um, a lot of people think it's an inside job. So, uh, Michael Fornes and Stephen Bender were two young men from the nearby village of Cuba, which is on 86. When you're going east, it's like half an hour east. Yeah. Yeah. And they were ski trail groomers. They were working an overnight shift at the Sea Ring Resort, which is located on Five Mile Road, which is a few miles outside of only in New York. So, they went into the chalet sometime between midnight and 1 a.m. on that cold night as the temperatures dropped as low as 9 degrees that night. So, it's hypothesized that they maybe stepped in to warm up. Uh, but they also could have gone to pick up some tools to repair a ski uh, snow grooming machine that had broken down that night. Um, so that's kind of what's theorized. Like no one's known why they went in at that exact time. So that's something to keep in mind. So when they were inside the building, they discovered two burglars digging up a cash loaded safe from the concrete floor of the manager's office. It would have taken at least a couple of people to grab it. Uh, the safe was approximately 175 pounds. It was a floor-mounted safe, so they needed saws or some type of equipment that would have been able to pull from the floor because it was actually mounted to the concrete. And these... So let me get this straight. So two guys are basically, they work at the ski place. They're coming into the office place, and it's kind of late at night. They're fixing something, and there's just two burglars they walk in on. Right, so they're going into, like, the main chalet building. Okay. To get, you know, like, because it was, like, a warming area. It was, like nine degrees that night so they were coming in to either warm up like take a lunch break get some tools to fix something that had broken down like we don't know like because we can't talk to them um but the safe like they walked in and they saw the burglars digging up the safe and it was actually literally chiseled out of the floor here and i'll show you the picture so we want to describe what you're seeing yeah so i don't know if this is an indoor outdoor thing it's looking like this is inside the manager's office okay there's like a hole just in the ground a little square hole in the corner of the office kind of hidden underneath what looks like a carpet they pulled back and the safe's gone in the picture it's right by the door like super inconspicuous i wouldn't even have noticed this if i walked in the room right and you can like also see that like that would take some like tools to oh, get yeah. out like this was it's like in stone or something yeah so was definitely like, you know, a big job. Mm -hmm. um, so they knew where the safe was located and they also came with like the tools necessary to remove it. And so there's a theory that the reason that they were murdered was because the 
they recognized the thieves who were digging it out. Mm. It was a cover-up. Um, so Which the two people who worked there who walked in, they ended up getting murdered by the burglars. Yes. Well, okay. we'll get to that part, yeah. So uh, Fornas, who was one of them, he was also always described as a powerfully built man. Um, and previously, they had a break-in from some teenagers uh, who broke in for some money or something. There's not, like, a story on that original break-in, but it happened a couple of weeks before these murders. So they could have, you know, like, the two ski groomers could have gone in and thought these were just kids, like, messing around. Yeah. And they could, you know, take them. Um, but, you know, I mean, like, you would walk in and be like, oh, someone's breaking in again. Like, this happened a couple of weeks ago. And they probably rushed in after them thinking. Yeah, a couple kids slap yeah. on the wrist, just get out of here. Yeah, so um, this is all forensic evidence. Um, but one of the articles that I found indicated that Fornes tried to wrestle the gun away from one of the men, but was shot in the attempt. Um, and so, again, forensics believe that this prompted both men to make a break for it. And Fornes, who was already shot, made it into the hallway as the gunman fired another shot through the wall, missing him as he raced for the rear exit. Tragically, the door was locked and chained and he was cornered. Mm -hmm. um, it's believed Bender, who's the other man, was gunned down just as he exited the office door. Neither man, both unarmed, had a chance. And that's when the burglars became killers. They shot Fornes, 29, and Bender, 30, three times each. Both execution-style shots via .38 caliber revolver. No gun was ever recovered um, to the back of the heads as they laid face down on the floor. So are there like security tapes or did anyone kind of see this unfold or it's just kind of after the fact we found two bodies and this is the story we got? This is 1978. Oh, so there's nothing. I mean, like they have, um, they had, do have like one forensic piece. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is just what's released to the media too. It's, it's one footprint and I'll let you look at it and kind of see, describe what you see. Yeah, so it looks like we're outside. There's a couple of uh, wooden slats in the ground, and we just see a solitary boot print embedded in the snow. And uh, what kind of boot would you? It doesn't look like a snow, like a ski boot or a snow boot. Uh, definitely not a ski boot because you said it's at a ski resort, yeah. but maybe like a work boot or some sort of outdoor boot. Yeah, it but... doesn't look like a sneaker. I would say it's more of like a work boot. Yeah, yeah, kind of what you described. And you can see those are the slats. Um, are like the outside, like chalet deck. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, you know, all that was released, really, the evidence that they had is this one super, I mean, and who can even know if that's from them? Yeah, I mean, that's a busy place. I don't know what time of day this is or what season it is. I mean, there's definitely Winter, snow yeah. here, but yeah, there's probably a lot of people coming in and out of here. I'm only seeing the one boot print in kind, kind of, of one to the bottom. Maybe another one in the region. Kind of one of right it. there, too. You can kind of make it out. Yeah. There's a couple prints, but I mean, I guess they were trying. This was 1978. I mean, that's how they solved crimes. Yeah. yeah they would take anything they could. So um, after the burglars killed the two men, um, they hauled away the heavy safe and got away with $18,000, which is now oh valued gosh. over 75 k Oh, my God. So, I mean, I don't think that that was worth two lives. Yeah. I mean, 75 k I mean, come on. I mean, maybe they didn't know how much was in the safe. Yeah, and we don't, we, who's to say what that's worth to any individual? Like, right. that could have been life-changing money, but at the same time. Still not worth. Murder. Two lives. Two like, lives. Even walking away with that on your conscience, like, no. Like, that's not worth it. Okay, so the murdered men were discovered at 3 a.m. when a janitor walked in on the scene. Um, he was supposed to be at work at midnight. And remember, they entered the chalet between midnight and 1 a.m. Mm -hmm. um, but accidentally, I'm doing air quotes, overslept. So police believe they kind of ruled him out and they believe that it prevented him from being a third victim. 
Um, and he's not a suspect, so I'm like not gonna say his name. But I was like thinking when I was reading this, I was like, wait, remember how they came in to warm up? Mm-hmm. And this wasn't, you know, when they normally would have come for their, you know, nightly lunch break. It would have been much later in the night. And the janitor overslept during that time. So mm-hmm. no one was in the building. Yeah, that's a little convenient, especially since that safe was so well hidden. It already makes you think, like, someone told them to be here at this time. There was some coordination involved. And then the janitor to just be Over, yeah. Oversleep? That's, that's coincidence. Yeah, right I, I mean, it is it is a perfect crime of opportunity, if true. For sure. Like, you you know what I mean? Like, if you knew no one was going to be there from, like, midnight to 3 a.m. Yeah, just stroll in, turn the lights on, take your time. Yeah, and like, it, it was a huge safe bolted to the ground like they had their fair time to dig it they would have you know what one two three hours yeah those to get like it out. big tools too you gotta yeah. cart those in you gotta maybe set them up i'm not entirely certain but yeah definitely a lot of prep work you need the time and you want to know that no one's coming to bother you and also they knew where like the safe was in like a back manager's office and they knew where the safe was and what tools mm-hmm. like this wasn't something that you know was like on display like a bank vault like you would have, you would have to know it's there. So I mean, apart from this kind of shoe print, it sounds like maybe the janitor's like the only other lead the police have. Yeah, I mean, he was ruled out. He was okay. He was. He was. He's no longer a suspect. Um, but yeah, what do you think? No, nah, I mean, what do we know? What they like did to rule him out? Did they just say he had no motive? Did they watch him to see if hey, maybe he starts living life large a little later? No, I mean, I looked him up and I wasn't able to find anything. So, I mean, maybe it is true. And he was just really, really lucky. I've been known to sleep in on random days, too. It's not like anything (laughs) significant happens then. Right. (laughs) You don't miss a murder scene. No, I don't don't usually. Wait, tell the story about the the body that you missed when you were... Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, not Allegheny area, but uh, since I'm from Ohio, there's like a little creek that's kind of some state land near where... uh, I grew up and I was hiking up there one day and usually you hike on one side of the creek or the other and you just randomly pick one. So I pick one, hike it, really uneventful, go home, uh, nothing of it. Like two days later, I, uh, I'm online and this article pops up and it says they found a body on the exact trail I took on the opposite side of the creek. So I was just thinking to myself, like, good Lord, if I was like walking on the other side and I would have just come across that, like, I don't even know how I would have interacted. Like, that's such an innocent sight, such an innocent place. And for this janitor, too, to walk in on these, like, two bodies, like, that's just, that's not something you wake up expecting to go through. Yeah, no, and these are, like, violent crimes. Yeah. Do you know, like, what happened? Like, did you ever find out? I guess, I don't know, like, every detail, but I guess the article said, like, it was a, a couple, boyfriend, girlfriend, and there was a tiff or something, and they basically pinned it on the boyfriend, and he didn't have an alibi, and there was kind of some history of abuse there, but... Sounds like something went down, something happened, and he took her out there and did uh, tried to bury her, didn't do the best job since it found took him maybe 12 hours to find the body. But, yeah, I mean, they, they, they solved it eventually. Yeah, like, that's just so hard. Like, I can't even imagine, like, coming up on a scene like that, like, having no idea. You know, you're just walking mm-hmm. into work, like, ready to, you know, be a janitor. Yeah, and then people have, like, families out there just, yeah. like, wondering where this person is, and that's how they figure it out. Like, yeah, and you find a double homicide or a body in the woods. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, these are people. Like, these are victims. Like, it's just yeah. crazy to think about. Right. So, circling back, um, so about a month after the crime, police found the safe in the Allegheny River. Um, which was about several miles from Ski Wing. The safe had been cracked 
and the money was gone. The empty safe also had a hole cut in the side and the safe was sent to a Canadian lab in hopes of, of identifying the tool the killers used to cut a hole in the side. So like I was looking into this and there was never anything, at least to the public that came out about what they found out. Um, but back in the day, I mean, this is like 1978, they had professional safe crackers. Like that was, you know, like a mob job. Yeah, but like, I don't know. When I, I'm, when I see, think of a safe cracker, I don't think of someone who's cutting a hole in the side of a safe. That sounds like someone who's a little more professional, a little more finessed, maybe someone who doesn't even need to remove the safe from this office to begin with. But I mean, it was cut open. That's definitely making me also question kind of this inside job angle. Right. Yeah. There, there are two. I mean, like they didn't know the combo. Right. It was cracked and a hole was cut in it. Yeah. That's why. And they never figured out the tool or. No, they never. I mean, not released to the public. Like mm. we don't have, I mean, if maybe if they, maybe they did. Um, but, tell us. Right. We don't have the information as in public, but I mean, it's just crazy to think. I mean, they got the money in, but then they dumped the safe right in Allegheny. Yeah. Like, help. like wouldn't you dump that? Or keep it? Yeah. Like, that's, like, why would you dump it empty safe? I mean, drive it. You just made $75,000. Drive it across the country, dump it, and come back. It's like, since 1978. Like, they're not going to track it. Yeah. Burn it. Throw it. Anything <laughs> other than right next door to where you got it from. Throw it in Lake Erie. Yeah. <laughs> like, throw it in some deeper water where it won't be found. And they found, how long after the crime did they find One it? One month. One month. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, like, that's what makes me think that it was kind of a local inside job. Yeah. Like, why wouldn't you... T- dump the safe yeah somewhere. like it's not someone coming to the ski resort from out of town just stumbling across a perfect storm and walking away like right. they were there that was their community these were their like family members friends whatever like yeah and they just did this crime and dumped the evidence yeah well i mean there is a theory that i found on web sleuth that was a comment like it's not substantiated so back in the 70s there was a huge mob in buffalo new york and buffalo was about an hour north and it's might have been, you know, their perfect crime. And perhaps there was a rumor that the custodian may have been involved or had relatives in the mob. And he, you know, took a couple hundred bucks to oversleep. Mm. But that's, again, all theory and he was cleared. Yeah. So, yeah. It, like I said, it's kind of... Did anyone ever, like, question this manager? Like... Was this even, like, reputable cash he was keeping there? If there's, like, some mob element of them knowing? Right, and we don't know. Like, we don't know where, who knew about the safe. Mm -hmm. We don't know who knew about the safe. We don't know who, you know, the police questioned. And it's all, yeah, super, super crazy. And these two poor, like, employees just walked at the wrong time. They're doing their job at freaking 12 to 1 a.m. of all times. Yeah, like, they were hard working. I mean, ski grooming is like, I mean, back in, we're talking 1978. This isn't now when they have the big fancy machines and, you know, they can put them on like autopilot, like, you know, like, yeah. and, and coast. Like, they're actively like chopping snow, like cutting ice, like mm-hmm. hard working jobs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these are two young men. I think it was 29 and 30. Mm-hmm. And they were just brutally murdered. And, I mean, their families were in the area. And they, like, put out, um, like, pleas to the public to, like, you know, bring some closure to the families. Yeah. And, yeah. Nothing came of that? Nothing. There's It's still unsolved. Um, There were two composite sketches um, 
of some men who were seen at the area at the time that the safe was discovered. Mm -hmm. I wasn't able to find the composites online. Like I searched and searched. I went on like Google page 10 of results and I was not able to find the composite sketches, which I don't know if that's something they're keeping under wraps or if it was, you know, released in the newspaper, like, you know, in 1978 at the time. And like this footprint, did anything ever come of that? Not that we know of other than maybe they got the shoe size and what type of boot. I mean, but like, Unless it was like a very specific boot and they had yeah. the imprint. I don't know how that's traceable. And the composite sketches, they just, there's no matches or they didn't follow up on it. Mm-hmm. So it was sketches. It was three men seen in the area and they were only able to get sketches of two of the men. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know whatever came of that or what tips or whatever. Okay. So we're looking at a past day Cinderella story. <laughs> this is a work boot fit. Yeah. The work boot fits. Wear it. I guess. <laughs> Um, and this ski resort actually did have a tragic history predating mm-hmm. these murders, um, which a decade earlier, around 1968, a nine-year-old boy was killed when a chairlift malfunctioned. So a lot of people believe like this area is kind of like cursed and mm. spooky. I mean, after that, you know, nine-year-old boy and then two yeah. double homicide. I would kind of agree with that. Yeah, and that's not something you hear like any many ski resorts either. Like I like can't think of another, you know, off the top of my injuries, head. but never like homicide. Never. Yeah, there's freak accidents all the time. Yeah, I mean it's a, it's a dangerous sport, but yeah, and like it's a lot of. I mean, 1978. I mean, you think about like it's not as you know beautiful smooth machinery as it is mm-hmm. now i'm sure the chairlifts were you know like kind of relatively crude compared to what we know yeah and so ski wing closed a few years later due to financial problems the chalet burned down and the site has been abandoned since the 1980s the land was sold to developers and when you drive by now on five mile road um i don't know if there's any buildings remaining because it's private land now but you can still see some of the groomers on the hill still working no like they're old rusted oh the machines yeah and it's kind of creepy oh my gosh yeah and i mean yeah i mean something like this has just got to be terrifying for like such a such an area where you know there's fewer police to even monitor things we don't even know what how who did this and they're like your neighbors like they could be out there still like it's hard to kind of feel safe in those scenarios and you see it every day on the way to, I don't know, work, the highway. Right. And this isn't a big town. Like, this is a small town where people don't lock their doors. And yeah. there was a brutal crime. Yeah. And they're still, and the men are still walking around, probably local. Yeah. Like, among society. Like, how do you, do you, are you able to trust your neighbors again after that? Or, like, I, I don't I even mean, know. I mean, they're probably still alive. Yeah. It's only been, like, 30, 40 years now. Yeah. So, like. I mean, they might be older, but heck, that mentality is still there. 42 years, 42. I mean, they're probably, I mean, people live, you know, life expectancies in your 80s. I mean, they're probably, even if they were 40 at the time. Yeah. I mean, maybe there will be like a deathbed confession or something. I don't know. Um, But yeah, despite, they got, I think, hundreds of leads. All police followed up on. The case is still unsolved and they have no uh, persons of interest, no suspects, nothing. Oh, my thoughts definitely go out to the community. I'm hoping, you know, the individuals who are directly and indirectly affected by this are able to find some closure somehow. I mean, may not be through a legal system, but through each other, hopefully. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's, again, I I wasn't alive in 1978, but um, my dad used to ski at Ski Wing, 
and he remembers he would have been i think 14 when this happened and he remembers the crime and like how they you know didn't go back to ski wing after that and how it killed that ski resort yeah. like you know no one really went back there after that and you know that kind of killed like what could have been a huge revenue for allegheny which doesn't you know have like a lot of like big revenue stuff going on other than saint bonaventure which is the college mm -hmm. um I, I, you know, we don't know what the society would look like right now if that was still operating and functioning. Because um, they had, so Holiday Valley is like the main ski resort in that area, but ski wing had more vertical feet. So it was like a steeper and taller, mm -hmm. like longer runs. So it was, you know, like objectively like better skiing. Um, so yeah, um, state police officials ask anyone with information about the killings of foreign S and Bender to call State Police Officer Giuliani at the Barracks in Machias, New York at 716-373-2552. So the next story is about someone with Alzheimer's. So I really wanted to talk about this story with Justin because he um, has volunteered in the past a ton with Alzheimer's and dementia patients, and he's worked extensively with an Alzheimer's foundation. So I'll let Justin kind of talk a little bit about that before we start getting into the story. Right. And I'm very happy to be here to kind of talk about something related to Alzheimer's. Alzheimer's is a uh, very big problem in the United States and the world at large. Here in the United States, it's the uh, number sixth leading cause of death, and it's the only one in the top 10 that for which we don't even have a cure. Alzheimer's disease is a process that really isn't defined well, and uh, it's something that a lot of families go through, a lot of caregivers go through. It's a common problem for a lot of people, and the disease itself, it's not pretty. Um, it's not something that I would ever wish upon my worst enemy, um, but it's something that uh, we as a community need to recognize is happening and something we need to kind of come together for and uh, help find that cure, help make that difference and understand how it plays out in each individual's life, however that may be. Right. And it's not only hard for the patient, but also for the family, like all of the caregiver strain and the strain on the family. I mean, I, my grandmother passed of Alzheimer's and I mean, it, it was awful, but I mean, it's something that a lot a lot of families go through and um i'm really proud of you justin for kind of you know doing that and taking that as your kind of you know volunteer out and how long have you been involved with that um i've been volunteering with alzheimer's in various regards since 2013 so about eight years volunteered in dementia care centers i volunteered with the alzheimer's association i worked at an office for the aging for a little bit so, you know, these kind of problems are something I do hold near and dear to me. Right. All right. So we'll get into the story. So this is from the paranormal subreddit on Reddit, and it is titled, My Grandmother with Alzheimer's Did Something Weird Four Days Before She Died. So OP original poster says, My grandmother suffered for nine years with Alzheimer's before she passed. She lost any ability to speak other than mumbling gibberish quietly feed herself, or do much of anything around year seven. When she was moved to hospice, my mom and I visited her every day. Four days before she died, my mother and I were sitting and talking to her. Out of nowhere, she began praying the Hail Mary and speaking perfectly. She said the whole prayer three times in a row before she stopped. That was the last time she ever spoke. It was really amazing to be there, and I still can't believe it happened. May her soul rest in peace. So, I mean... 
I think, you know, it's kind of crazy, you know, to have someone who was so sick and, you know, so like, like the OP said, like speaking gibberish and mumbling, just out of nowhere, start saying Hail Marys. And I don't know if that was an act of God or something religious or, you know, like your religion is something that is so subconscious in your brain that you can still pull from that. Yeah, for those people not entirely familiar with Alzheimer's disease, it's kind of a neurodegenerative process in which people start to lose memories. And uh, everyone's a little different, but um, you kind of see a trend in that people start to regress backwards from uh, where they uh, were as an adult down to where they were as a child, kind of losing those memories along the way. And uh, slowly you start to lose that ability to speak and the ability to kind of make those senses for so so for someone to kind of have this uh, sudden bout of uh, Hail Marys is just um, not necessarily unexpected, but it's not a common thing you see. And people really do um, kind of have difficulty getting back to their baselines once they've lost them over time. Right. And like, do you think that maybe like, I mean, like, we don't know, like, this is just some, you know, random post on the internet that this is something that, you know, like she learned very early on. In- um, I, I don't know necessarily. I mean, like the Hail Mary at such a young age, or Hail Marys in such a young age. Some people learn the Lord's Prayer. Some people learn some sort of uh, hymn or whatever it is that they keep near and dear to their hearts. But that could be what it is. But to have that kind of at the very end, you know, it's not going to be Alzheimer's disease isn't isn't a ticking clock. You don't see them revert down to where they were as, you know, six years old, five years old, and then you see that kind of end. Like, it can be anywhere along the way. Everyone's different. So to even kind of think, oh, maybe someone learned these Hail Marys as a child, and that's kind of where they're at, and then we're about kind of done? I don't know. That just seems unexpected to me. Yeah, right. I mean, like, I was raised Catholic, and I learned my Hail Marys at about, like, maybe, like, age 10. Like, usually that's, like, one of the last ones you learn. At least, like, that's how my, like, you know, like, CCD religion went. Mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't do it in Latin until I was 16. So I, if you're talking about, like, regression, like, it would put you at, like, you know, like, let's say roughly 9, 10, 8-year-old mark. Mm-hmm. Like, do you think that's something that is, you know, explainable or is that more of like a paranormal? I wouldn't call it paranormal. I think it is explainable. I think it is realistic. But for that to be, you know, the final kind of time someone ever spoke is certainly not what you'd expect in that regard. Um, Even though um, kind of one thing with Alzheimer's disease that's um, not necessarily expected is Oftentimes, after individuals have lost the ability to speak, they can still sing. So even though they're not able to form sentences, have conversation, if you start singing a song, and that's a song that they recognize, they can start singing along too, and it sounds completely normal. It's not, you know, oh, that's someone with Alzheimer's disease who's singing a song. It's just a person singing a song. You'd never recognize that difference. So maybe these Hail Marys are kind of in that same neurologic pathway yeah, semantic yeah, something like semantic. that possibly yeah no like that you know like same like chant rhythm pattern mm-hmm. kind of you know it's not being able to you know like our, as we're talking right now like audibly construct you know like sentence like noun verb subject. predicate yeah no sorry subject noun sorry uh-huh. uh, didn't obviously didn't do well in grammar school <laughs> clearly but you know, like it, maybe it's something that's so ingrained. 
But, right, and but, you said you learned at a young age that yeah. something you've kind of kept with you throughout the years, so maybe it's kind of at someone's core? Subcon- yeah, like sub- almost, not subconscious, but, you know, like deep, deep rooted, like something that you can't... You turn to in the forget. darkest hour. Right, like someone else, like, you know, like your parents' phone number. Mm-hmm. Like, I could recite that with... Right, like... You know, like you could tend to heal a shot's deep. I could recite my mom's song. Exactly. It's something you learn. It's something you keep with you. And possibly it's something that sticks with you even as maybe other later memories, experiences, things fade away. Right. You really don't think, though, that there was, like, some sort of, like, kind of, like, you know, higher power? Because, like, in the post, it, she, you know, couldn't, like, she didn't have an ability to speak at the time. Right. I'm... I mean, it's been a couple days before kind of the passing. It's hard to really know if there's a higher power involved. And possibly, you know, this individual had that connection. They continued on with it. And maybe there is some sort of channel for a higher power working through her. Um, who, who's really to say here? Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone can say. I mean, you know, if I died and went to heaven, I wouldn't be able to tell you about it. Right. Like, I wouldn't be here. So, but yeah, but I'm so glad that we were able to talk about that because I think your perspective is something that is really valued because you have a lot of experience in it and, you know, you've worked a lot with it. So I'm, I'm so appreciative that you were able to come on and kind of talk your truth and your experience. Right. And even hear kind of the experience of someone else who's, you know, being a family member of someone with Alzheimer's disease, them going through it and them kind of wondering how this process plays out and what exactly went on in those final moments. I think that's a question a lot of families, uh, people with Alzheimer's disease, kind of have and a lot of experiences they go through. And to have that out there and to have them kind of have that connection, I think, is something uh, that's just as important, too. Right. And maybe that's something that would stick with you because it's your last experience with Mm -hmm. them. Right. You know, which is hard. It's always hard. It's hard. But, yeah. May this grandmother rest in peace. Mm -hmm. Wish her all the best. All right, so let's end on a more uplifting note. Um, so this post is from the Paranormal subreddit, and it says, if the tragic deaths of millions of dinosaurs were caused by an asteroid, why aren't there any dinosaur ghosts haunting the Earth? How far back do the spirits go before they can no longer haunt the modern world? Um, ghosts are, uh, you know, I used to not believe in ghosts, but then, uh, what was it, probably six years ago, I actually saw a ghost. So I was never really a a big ghost believer, but saw these ghosts uh, walk through the wall when I was coming out of the bathroom, and I've been a believer ever since, so... I think this question of dinosaur ghosts is definitely a reasonable one. No, tell the story. Oh, God. Not not a, not a very uh, big, big deal story. I was uh, coming out of the bathroom sophomore year of college and uh, turned down the hallway and I just uh, saw a ghost walk through uh, my neighbor's door and kind of freaked me out and freaked me out even more, wondering if when I walked through my door, the ghost would have come through the adjoining wall and uh, met me there. Never did, but, you know, I've, I've always been scared of ghosts since then. So I actually have a couple of ghost stories myself. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay, so 
Um, the first one was when I was maybe in fourth grade and I was sleeping at my grandparents' house and they had this super, super old Victorian home. And I woke up like right at 3 a.m. for no reason. And I like, you know, like, in, you know, your night vision's on in your brain, like, and I saw a shadow. There's no light in the room of like two angel wings with like a silhouette. And I was sleeping in a bed with my sister and I woke her up and when we woke up, it was gone. And it was the freakiest thing. Was it like one of those experiences where you look away to wake up your sister, you look back and then it's gone? Yeah, no, like I distinctly remember like outline, like big wings, like person. There was nothing that would have made that shadow in the room. Exactly the same way for me. You know, I look down that hallway, it's up, that's a hallway. And then I see this outline of some, you know, humanoid thing that just goes through the like wall. Like you see it and you just, it's not something you forget. Right. So for these, like, you know, I think the question, the, uh, the original poster here is kind of questioning with like, why aren't dinosaur ghosts around still? It's definitely a reasonable question. Yeah. But like, I don't know, like we are like, you know, sentient beings, like we are able to consciously perceive and like reflect and you know are, are you saying like we're a different level are you saying you know we're only going to be able to recognize realize and see apparitions of our own species or kind well i mean like people see like apparitions of animals of like you know like their dogs and that have passed and stuff this is definitely a fair point and like, you know what I mean? But like, why aren't there any like, you know, tea? I mean, maybe it's like a reference bias where we've never seen a dinosaur in the flesh. Um, you know, it's hard to rationalize, uh, you know, as someone, as people who have both seen mm -hmm. ghosts and, you know, believe in ghosts to an extent, you know, it's hard to justify why a ghost is there. Because if you think about it, there's been so many people, so many animals, so many whatnot, but you only see a select few ghosts. So at least to me, the way I view it is the ghosts are here because they have some unfulfilled mission. And maybe with dinosaurs, you know, it's been millions, thousands, whatever. It's been a longer time than humans have been around to kind of come to terms and find that resting in peace. They, they just had more of a uh, more opportunity to do so. Yeah. And like now that you brought that up, like so one of the other like experiences that I had was I was in my current bedroom right now, like, you know, growing up in my room. I think I was in college home on break. And I woke up in the middle of the night and I saw a woman with like, you know, like silvery white hair in a Victorian dress. And so my house is like an old Victorian home mm -hmm. that like we live in now. And I like saw her and I spoke to her and I was like, you're scaring me. <laughs> like, please like, you know, leave me alone. And then she like poofed, like it was like a mist. And then the next morning I woke up and I told my mom about it and she thought that was so weird. And then she talked to like some other people who knew the people that lived in the house before us. And they said what I described in like the gown was exactly the woman who lived in the house before us who passed, like the more oh husband. God. Yes, like I described her like hair, like dress, like, that and I, I had never met her, seen her before in my life. Yeah, and you just, you, you made this, there's no, that's not a there's coincidence. No reference. That's not I had like, no reference. I saw a picture, I saw something, mm -hmm. you just saw 
apparition of some sort, and that was the exact replication of someone who used to live there. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and I mean, like, I don't know. I have, like, I don't know if you're more, like, open to it. It happens to you more. But, like, I really personally believe that there is, you know, some other... I mean, when you die, you know, conservation of energy. I I believe it at molecular level, ATP, whatever, like, that might die. But I think your subconscious really does, like, live within you. Mm-hmm. And the night before my grandfather died, I woke up in my bed and I was laying next to... Um, and I was alone in my room and I woke up to someone next to me wearing like a pilgrim outfit. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, like, I don't, that's how I describe it. Like pilgrim, like maybe like Western wear. And, um, I told, like I said, my mom about it and she was like, oh, like, I bet that was your grandmother. Like telling you that your grandfather is going to be okay. Oh my gosh. Right. I, yeah. I mean, I feel like, so I, my grandma lived in this house in Cleveland, Ohio for the longest time. And a lot of members of my family have had like various experiences with some sort of apparition or premonition that resembles my grandfather. I never had them, but they'd always describe him being in the basement. And mm-hmm. then, you know, a couple years, probably a decade went by, I don't know where we went and started cleaning out the house a little more and you know my grandma had made the comments that the base was always my grandfather's favorite spot to hang out he had a workbench down there there was a little bit of like some sort of built-in bar element so it kind of makes sense and they have all had this experience in a similar spot in which he routinely hung out and you know he passed away when you know a lot of us were younger so for us to know that about him was just unexpected you know that's not something Mm -hmm. we would have known so Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. When you think about it, like, you have so many people living through you right now. Like, how many great, great, great grandparents Mm -hmm. did it take to make you? A lot. Like, I was reading something today, and it was, like, your 12th, like, great-grandmother was... You are descended from, like, 4,096 people to create you. And that's, like, over a span of 400 years going on 12 generations. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I don't know if that, that kind of spirit and like legacy, you know, lives with you, Mm -hmm. but like with the dinosaur thing. Yeah. What, what legacy is there? What connection do you have? So maybe you're not seeing it because you don't even view it. And we don't even, we're still constantly reevaluating what dinosaurs actually looked like in the flesh, you know? We still don't know. No. Have you ever seen a dinosaur? I haven't. Ever. I've seen a lizard. Like 15 years ago or whatever. You see the Jurassic Park movies and you see them as these reptilian, yeah, depictions, but then you know, scientists are continuing to come out that maybe they were feathered, maybe they were lighter, maybe they had some sort of vocal cords that mm-hmm. projected this sound, maybe they lived in this context. Like, we're constantly reevaluating them. So to sit there and wonder, why don't I see a ghost of them is kind of questioning, you know, do would you even recognize them if you did see them? Yeah, no, I'm kind of having, like, you know, like we were, so today, Justin and I are in school together and we were talking about the alien movies, like extensively in class. Mm. And like, what if, like, what reference did they get, like, to make that like alien creature? Yeah, it's impossible to know. I mean, you, like, you, di- it's kind of dinosaur-esque. Yeah. A little bit. There's, there's certainly uh, shared themes and you hear those um, kind of conspiracy theories. I don't know if that's the right terminology, but... People who say like, oh, you know, we've heard remnants, tales of dragons across all these different 
cultural upbringings. Why aren't dragons real? Vampires real? Same thing we have here with ghosts. But dinosaurs, you know, we didn't even understand they were a, a thing or they even existed at some point until 300 or so years ago. You know, the tar pits are where we really got a good understanding of them. Mm-hmm. So it's maybe something less ingrained in um, our societal thought process. So I think the original poster poses a good question for ghosts overall. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, I, I mean, like, have you ever seen a mammoth? <laughs> A ghost of a mammoth? Never. I mean, I don't even know where I would see one. Like, I'm not going to be, you know, taking, you know, walking to class, walking to some area and see a mammoth. Like, that would just be so out of context in the situations, in the cities, in the areas we live in. Yeah, but, like, we've never seen a mammoth, but yet we have that, like, depiction. Mm Mm-hmm. And, like, I mean, like, they have, like, cave drawings and stuff. I mean, I guess there was, you know, like, humanoid forms at the time. Right. And I, I was telling you, you know, the other day, you know... I will see things out of the corner of our eyes and we look and they're gone. And for all we know, that's a flash of some sort of prehistoric ghost. I mean, yeah. that's, that's definitely a definitely a leap to make. But, yeah. you know, we wouldn't even again, we just wouldn't even know if that's what we're seeing. Yeah. I mean, you were talking about the stick figure the, in the previous episode. You're talking about the stick figure spirit. And yeah. And you were telling me you were like, yeah, you were like, I don't know if you saw someone behind you on the trail. And you would make that premonition, like... Yeah, like, you just manifest these things. And I know we were discussing that, too, with the stick figures. You know, it's hard to even make out in that light. You've got your camera light, things like that. So maybe you see it, and you've got some, uh, I think called gestalt principles. Gestalt principles, not entirely certain. You know, you just have these, like, programmed rhythmic patterns you kind of jump to in your primordial brainstem, whatever... Maybe that's what we're seeing. Maybe that's what we're jumping to, you know? It's hard to say what is or what isn't a dinosaur ghost. Yeah, I mean, so I think we're going to, you know, leave that philosophical question for all of our listeners out there and let you think about what your dinosaur ghost look like. So make sure you subscribe and rate. We are now on Apple Podcasts. So excited. So we'll see you guys next week. Bye.